Good evening. Good evening, everybody. We're grateful that you're here tonight. Go ahead and make your way to a table with some other people. We're going to have some group discussion tonight. Well, my name is Jeremy Kays. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey the Church. And it is very good to be back. We were in uh, Slovakia in Eastern Europe, a small little country. There's going to be a, a little video to show you a little bit about kind of what we, what we did, if you want to get that rolling. We did an English camp uh, during the last uh, two and a half weeks, and uh, it was in a small little village called Velky Kurtish, where we go and we teach English. We put on a whole program during the morning with games and music and a Bible lesson. And then we send them off to their classes where each of us Americans lead a, a class. Uh, people who are here were also on the trip were, were Tara and Ashley and Kyle and Lisa, the people here tonight. So we each had a, a classroom that we were uh, there's no music on the, the thing, so you can turn that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but uh, we, we were teaching English, and then after that, we would have lunch, and we would do crafts or sports. And uh, then we would <laughs> have a little bit of free time. And that evening, we would invite a bunch of the students over to the tea house, where we would play more games and build relationships. It's a very relationship-driven uh, camp. And then the next week, we would take them up to the mountains where we would put on a whole, like, 24-7 nonstop Christian camp. Uh, two services a day. It was nonstop fun. So uh, just kind of a, an experience of, of what we went through. Uh, this whole series we called Lost. That was what we were exploring. That was the uh, biblical themes that we were going through. You can go ahead and, and cut the, the video here. But... One of the things I told everybody on the team that I experienced the first time I went there is your first experience is going to be lost when you get there. You're going to feel absolutely just lost. The language is going to be different. The culture is different. Living conditions might make you feel lost. The time change, which I'm still kind of dealing with right now. Um, we got in at like 3 in the morning yesterday. So uh, pardon me if I... Uh, I'm not making great sense, but pay very close attention tonight, and that will help. Uh, the food is, is often different. The daylight, the hours of daylight is different there. You might feel lost, and then you might feel lost thinking, how do I build relationships? Relationships with people who seem very, very different than me. Well, relationships in general can be very tricky Especially since we're called to live out the gospel, not just at church on Wednesdays or on Sundays, but all day, every day, in every single way, in every single relationship, in every single interaction, we're called to live out the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul has been talking about living out the gospel in different types of relationships, whether you're single or married or divorced whether you're a slave or whether you're free. 
So tonight we're going to continue as we begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. I want to invite you to stand if you are able to stand. We do this to revere the Word of God. It's life-changing, transforming power. This is what it says in verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live the kind of life that the Lord assigned when he called each one. This is what I teach in all the churches. Lord, we thank you so much for calling us, for saving us, for rescuing us. I pray tonight that you would speak to us in a way that we can understand, that you would speak directly to our hearts and that we would be changed. We thank you, God, that in you we have life and life to the fullest. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead, you guys can be seated. It was 10 years ago, 10 years ago on a foggy fall Sunday morning that this verse hit me like a ton of bricks. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live the kind of life that the Lord assigned when he called each one. Ten years ago on a foggy fall Sunday morning, this verse hit me like a ton of bricks. The previous night, I was filled with sulking and sobbing. My high school sweetheart had broken my heart. She had dumped me, kicked me to the curb, and I was crushed. I was absolutely broken. But I remember the next morning still feeling really sad about everything, and I was praying, and I was reading the Bible, and I was trying to figure out what God was trying to say about relationships. And I came to 1 Corinthians seven seventeen, and boom, it hit me. I figured that, number one, God knew exactly what was going on and what he was doing. And number two, that I better listen up. Because nevertheless, each person should live the kind of life that the Lord assigned when he called each one. I felt like I was in that specific spot for a specific purpose. So I listened up, and that morning at church, they mentioned a missions trip to Slovakia. And I felt my heart fluttering. I felt like my head pounding. And I felt really good inside. And I felt like maybe God is calling me to Slovakia. I felt called. Well, what does that mean? That, that's kind of like a Christianese term. You know, Christians, we use a lot of different, like, code words that the rest of the world doesn't understand. And when we go to Slovakia, we can't use those words, like, if you say, I got saved when I was seven, they're like, from what? Like, what are you talking about, being saved? Or, I'm so blessed. What, is that, what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to be called? Nevertheless, each person should live the kind of life that the Lord assigned when he called each one. In Paul's lingo, calling is God's work of drawing people to faith in Christ. So being called is about an initial call to faith. We might call it conversion. 
I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But being called can also refer to commissioning, that that God prompts in the life of a Christian this desire to live out one's faith in a particular location or in a particular way. And that's what I felt. I felt called or commissioned to Slovakia. Well, that type of being called or that type of being commissioned is completely different than what Paul is talking about here. Ten years ago, I misinterpreted this verse. I totally got it wrong. I thought it was about God sending someone, calling someone to do something, but it's actually not. It's actually about someone coming to faith for the first time. But even in my misinterpretation, God used it to radically transform my life, to radically change the trajectory. Well, Paul here talks about circumstances of what to do when you're first called, when you are a new baby Christian, when you first come to faith. Now I realize that many of you, if not everybody here, is not a new baby Christian. So don't check out, though, because you might know someone who is. Hopefully you do know someone who is, or hopefully you can introduce someone to Jesus and walk them through this. So this is what it says, verses 17 and 18. Nevertheless, each person should live the kind of life that the Lord assigned when he called each one. So not the, not the behaviors, not the patterns. Those things have to change, but the relationships and the situations, those things should maybe stay the same. This is what I teach in all the churches. If someone was circumcised when called, he shouldn't try to reverse it. What? How do you possibly do that? Apparently there was a first century. Remember, first century. We're talking pre-anesthesia, pre-sterilized scalpel, first century surgical procedure. To attempt to reverse the appearance of circumcision. Ouch. If someone wasn't circumcised when he was called, he shouldn't be circumcised. So the uncircumcised Corinthian Christian men probably let out a huge sigh of relief at hearing this. Why all the talk about circumcision? We were just talking about something totally normal. Then all of a sudden we come to, what is going on here? Well, what is circumcision? First of all, circumcision is the outward display of one's Judaism. I'm not going to show any charts or any images of what that may look like. Uh, But it, it was faithfulness to the covenant that was made to Abraham in Genesis 17. It was a defining marker of the Jewish people, of one's Jewishness. Now, we must remember that at this particular time, Christianity was not viewed as a separate religion, separate from Judaism. At this time, there's this mixture of Jew and Gentile people, and they're trying to come to terms with the question, how do we cut it as Christians? Wow. I I got back to California at 3 in the morning, and I came up with that joke. Thank you for laughing. So, 
If you didn't get the pun, I'll, uh, you can talk to Jeff about that later. Maybe he can explain that to you. So anyways, they're trying to figure out how do, we, how do we operate as Christians? Because we've got these old laws, we've got this old system. Should we have that a part of this new, newness that Jesus is bringing into our existence? Like, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to function as Christians? Well, Paul is so bold as to say in verses 19 through 20, circumcision is nothing. Wow. But then he says, not being circumcised is nothing. What matters is keeping God's commandments. That's what's important. Each person should stay in the situation they were in when they were called. But what if you're in a bad situation when you're first called to follow Jesus? Are these words the be-all, end-all of every circumstance when someone comes to faith? What do you think? Let's talk at our tables. Uh, some table talk for you. What do you think 1 Corinthians 7.20 means? What if it's a bad situation? How are we to understand Paul's words here? So pull out your Bibles, check out 1 Corinthians 7.20 and get started.
We've got about one more minute. Let's wrap it up and bring it back together here. Don't worry, we'll have some more time for for table talk as we progress later tonight. But I believe here that Paul is showing us something really important. Something that might go against the culture, might rub you the wrong way, might be something very different than how you intend to live. But Paul is showing us that serving God is more important than trying to change one's circumstances. He's trying to help the Corinthians to see that their social status is ultimately irrelevant. Whether they're rich, poor, married, single, divorced, they can live out their Christian life exactly where they are. And I believe that that we are to focus our time and our energy on serving God in whatever condition we find ourselves instead of wasting our time and energy on trying to find our way out. Our calling as Christians to bear witness to Jesus Christ is far more important than our status in the social and economic and geographical scheme of things. But what if things are really bad? What if the situation is so bad like you're a slave or something. Well, Paul talks about that. Verse 21. If you were a slave when you were called, don't let it bother you. What? I'm a slave. The, the Greek is doulos. It could mean servant. Some translations might like to make it sound a little nicer, so we'll say servant. But doulos means servant or slave. There's no difference between those words. Well, what if I'm a slave? Don't worry, serve God. But if you are actually able to be free, take advantage of the opportunity. So if you're a slave, don't worry about it, Paul is saying. Serve God. But if you have the opportunity to improve yourself for the glory of God, do so. In other words, bloom where you are planted, wherever that might be. You don't need a degree in astrophysics to look up at the stars and be amazed. You don't need a degree in marine biology to dive into the sea and be completely enthralled. You don't need a degree in theology or biblical studies to serve God effectively. But if you have the opportunity to do so, take advantage of it. Anyone who was a slave, verse 22, doulos, or servant, when they were called by the Lord, has the status of being the Lord's free person. In the same way, anyone who was a free person when they were called is Christ's slave. 
First of all, we got to flesh out this term doulos, slave slash servant. This imagery must be interpreted in light of Greco-Roman slavery, not in light of the despicable atrocity of American history. American history and the slavery that has occurred is atrocious compared to the slavery which is in view here in Scripture. Slavery in the ancient world was the bottom rung on the social order, but for the most part, it provided generally well up for up to one-third of the population in a city like Corinth or, or even Rome. The slave actually had considerable freedom and very often experienced mutual benefit along with the master. The owner received the benefit of the slave's services, and the slave had steady employment, including having all his or her basic needs met. Indeed, for many, to be a slave was actually preferable to being free, because there was an opportunity for survival. The opportunity for survival was greater, but opportunity for social ranking, if you were a slave, was zero to none. So what Paul is saying is, don't consider your position as a slave on the bottom rung on the social order as some sort of limitation to living for Jesus and sharing the gospel. Whoever you are and wherever you might be, live for Jesus and share the gospel. Because living for Jesus and sharing the gospel is valuable. It's worth more than anything. It's literally life-saving. And whoever you are and wherever you might be, you are valuable. You are worth more than anything. I love what the uh, fourth century thinker, the the early church father, Augustine, said. He, He said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Just let that sink in a minute. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. How do I know that's true? Verse 23, Paul says, you were bought and paid for. In other words, you have value. You're not trash. You're not junk. You were bought and paid for. Don't become slaves of people. By the cross, God has set us free from the worst kind of slavery. How foolish it would be for us then to give up any liberties we enjoy that enable us to serve Jesus Christ. How ridiculous would it be to place ourselves back into a slave relationship to anyone or to anything but God. Verse 24 says, So then, brothers and sisters, each of you should stay with God in the situation you were in when you were called. The third time in this section, Paul reiterates, Stay with God in the situation you were in when you were called. Evidently, the Corinthians needed to hear this. And I think we need to hear this today just as well. Because today, there's this thing called upward mobility. And I think it's become a god to many Christians. And its worship has polluted the church. 
We think we must rise up to the next level, become richer, take control of our lives, achieve success, whatever that means. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what God is saying. Paul is saying, be content to serve God, to live out your calling, whether in a mixed marriage, singleness, a white-collar or blue-collar job, or whatever socioeconomic condition you're in. Live for God. I, I was reminded of a story I had heard. There's, there's this book I, I got a couple of months ago. It's called Common Prayer. And it's basically, it's called A Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. I'm ordinary. I don't know how radical I am, but I thought it was a, a neat book. And it has prayers for the morning, then midday, and then the evening. And there's a, a story in here that really caught my attention when it came to this idea of upward mobility and how I feel in, in America we have this tendency, just as human beings essentially, to, to want more, to never be content, to never be satisfied, when all we need to do is go to God because He's the one who satisfies all our desires, not all the things we're chasing after. But there's a story about a rich industrialist from the north. He was horrified to find a southern fisherman lying leisurely beside his boat. Why aren't you fishing? asked the industrialist. Because I have caught enough fish for the day, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch some more? What would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, was the reply. With that, you could fix a motor to your boat, go into deeper waters, and catch more fish. Then you would make enough money to buy nylon nets. These would bring you more fish and more money. Soon you would have enough money to own two boats, maybe even a fleet of boats. Then you would become a rich man like me. The fisherman said, what would I do then? Then you could really enjoy life. What do you think I'm doing right now, said the fisherman. I want you to read uh, a section in scripture. We're going to flip back to another letter of Paul. And I want you to talk about uh, being content. Read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, and discuss the following question. According to Paul, what is the secret to being content? And how does that translate into our current reality, or not. Ready, go.
right, one more minute here. According to Paul, the secret to being content, the secret to being content is actually the junior high youth group answer, Jesus. That's the secret of being content. Uh, It's Jesus. Uh, In Paul's letters, we're only getting one side of the conversation. We're not getting the, the report from the Corinthians about how things are going. We're only getting one side, but we can infer that maybe some questions are being asked by the way that Paul responds and by the things that Paul is writing here. In this next section that we're going to transition to, there appears to be a question that was framed for Paul that he is now addressing. A question about whether an engaged girl should get married or remain single. Kind of sounds like a chick flick. But it's not, so don't worry. Verse 25 says, I don't have a command from the Lord about people who have never been married, but I'll give you my opinion as someone you can trust because of the Lord's mercy. Let's unpack this. This is a very confusing, uh, complex verse. I don't have a command from the Lord about people who have never been married. The, the Greek says, it's actually the, the word parthenos, which means literally virgin. Paul's referring to young engaged women who were influenced by various groups within the Corinthian church who were kind of told not to go through with their marriages. So the central issue is whether the young men and young women should continue with their plans and finalize their marriages or break them off. Paul here is saying, I don't have a command, but I'll give you my opinion. He makes it clear that he is giving his opinion here on the matter of singleness as someone you can trust because of the Lord's mercy. So in response to a question about whether an engaged girl should get married or remain single, Paul has some counter-cultural words to say. Being single isn't nearly as bad as some people think. Actually, he suggests that singleness has its advantages. While many of these advantages can be universally true, we must be careful to place what Paul is saying within the context which we receive it. 
with the Corinthian church. That these are words for a specific time and a specific place, not necessarily everywhere and for all time. Verses 26 through 28, he says, So I think this advice is good because of the present crisis. Stay as you are. If you are married, don't get a divorce. If you are divorced, don't try to find a spouse. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if someone who hasn't been married gets married, they haven't sinned. But married people will have a hard time. And I'm trying to spare you that. So Paul recommends singleness in light of the challenging circumstances in Corinth. In, in, 27, or in, in chapter 7, verse 26, here he speaks about the present crisis. What crisis is he talking about? Some believe that this present crisis was a famine that was happening in the land. At this time, Corinth and much of the Roman world was enduring the hardship of a famine. These were challenging days, especially for married people. You got two mouths to feed instead of one. Verse 28b, at the end, it says, married people will have a hard time. The Greek is plepsis. And I'm trying to spare you that. This word plepsis, it means trouble or tribulation. Literally, being pressed together under pressure. So married people will have trouble or tribulation or this experience of being pressed together under pressure. Now that's an interesting description of marriage. Two people pressed together in the closest possible ways. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Two people pressed together with different personalities, different temperaments, different wills, different histories, different struggles, and different difficulties. And then you throw in this whole bit that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So two people pressed together who can sometimes be angry, selfish, dishonest, proud, forgetful, and thoughtless. It's hard enough for a sinner to live alone with herself or his self, let alone with another sinner. You put these two separate truckloads of problems together, and two people are bound in marriage. And it's happily ever after. No, actually the problems of sinful human nature, they get multiplied when the two become one. You don't just bring the good things together when you come into marriage. You bring the struggles, the hardship, the, the sin. Marriage is good though. And noble and holy and honorable. But marriage is not the be-all, end-all. I know Cameron was in here a second ago. Cameron, uh, he's getting married. Like, next, no, not this Cameron. Another Cameron. He's get, he walked out because he didn't want to hear it. He's getting married. <laughs> he's getting married like next month, and uh, he didn't want to hear this apparently. But marriage is not the be-all, end-all of life. It's not the pinnacle with which we are to live. And I, I know for a lot of young people who. Uh, have this desire to get married and live happily ever after, marriage is, is the stop. It's part of the journey. And it's an adventure, and it's awesome and amazing. But if you're miserable being single, how can you be sure that you'll suddenly be happy when you get married? Don't think that marriage will make you happy. Don't think that marriage will solve your problems. 
Don't think that marriage will bring you closer to God. Don't think that marriage will make you a better person. Don't think that marriage will fulfill your dreams. It won't. Because it can't. Only God can. This, I heard a lot of amens there. You guys are, you have experience with this, huh? We shouldn't try to make marriage something that it's not. But we romanticize everything. And, and that's okay. I mean, romance is great. But God is better. Um, I, I wasn't going to share this, but I guess I will. It just came into my mind that uh, we, we know some people. It's actually my sister-in-law's college roommates or something like that. And they just, no, they didn't get married. They called it... Um, I don't know why they call it hand fasting. That's what they call it. I have no idea what this means. But they're basically in a serious, committed relationship, like a marriage, but not a marriage, until love, as long as love lasts. I'm like, all right, I give it like two weeks. (laughs) Two weeks tops. Wait till they get back from the honeymoon. But, you know... Marriage is, is amazing. Marriage has radically transformed my life, but that's because God has been the center of our marriage, and God has been the most important part in our lives. So I think what is being communicated here, it's very, very simple. That whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're, you're engaged, or whether you're, you're married, whatever you may be, in whatever situation, serve God and love God and love people. It's very simple. This conversation on the advantages of singleness, it actually continues into the next section that we're going to explore as we continue this in the following weeks. But there's a lot of important stuff, and I know that this church uh, really welcomes a lot of people who uh, are single or who have been divorced, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I know that that's not the norm, unfortunately, with uh, a lot of the churches in, in our uh, country today. That a lot of people I know feel not right if they're not married. But you look at the gospel, you look at the the Bible, and you see two people who were extremely instrumental who were single. Um, uh, Paul, I mean, we we don't know much. He probably was married at some point. But uh, that other guy, Jesus, he was single, and he was pretty important. Uh, So it is, it is, amazing to to see a church where people are accepted for who they are and i like that but what's even better is that we have a god who accepts us who we are you know Uh, and the beauty of it is is that our time is short we don't have a whole lot of time together I mean, we have seven minutes left, but our time on earth is short. And I'll share it at the end. I've got to get through these last couple of verses, and I'll share something that just feels important. Uh, but verse 29a in this next section, 29 through 31, it sounds like a downer type of stuff, but uh, we'll flesh it out. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. The time has drawn short. Paul challenges us to live with the end in mind. He 
You know, you may live up to 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, who knows, maybe even 80 or 90 years old. Maybe 100 if you're lucky. But sooner or later, you're going to die or live, however you look at it. But the time is short. Time is nothing to waste. From now on, those who have wives should be like people who don't have them. Now, that's not a verse you hear at weddings. It simply means enjoy your marriage, but don't make your marriage the most important thing in your life. And don't make your job more important than your marriage. Don't make your kids more important than your marriage. Don't make your sports teams more important than your marriage. But God needs to be more important than your marriage. Uh, Those who are sad should be like people who aren't crying. In other words, don't be so overcome with grief that you act as if God doesn't have the final word. Those who are happy should be like people who aren't happy. Don't get so caught up in joy that you forget that suffering is right around the corner. In everything you do, don't forget about eternal reality. Those who buy something should be like people who don't have possessions. When you buy, be a wise steward. Be careful, lest the things you possess end up possessing you. Those who use the world should be like people who aren't preoccupied with it, because this world, in its present form, is passing away. Use the world. Enjoy the world. Live in it. Work in it. But don't let the world rule your life. Enjoy life. Live it to the fullest. Take advantage of every moment, but don't lose sight of what truly matters. You know, we always have an amazing time in Slovakia, despite the things that happen, hardship, um, injuries, sickness, whatever it may be. We always seem to have just amazing time together. And it really kind of hit me this year that, that there's something beautiful that happens there with the team that is there. It's like a microcosm of the church. It is its own church in a way. What, what I'm trying to say is that it's this group of people who come together for the sole purpose of living out and sharing the gospel. But the amazing part is that we can't leave, that we're stuck together. And the hardships that we face, the difficulties that we may go through, we aren't allowed to leave. We stay there and we stick it out together. And we find contentment in that. We find purpose in that. And I think that is a beautiful sign of what the church should be like. That we stick things out. That we come together, support one another through hardship, through distress, through through the difficulties we encounter. Where we don't just get up and find a a new church and go shopping for a, a new pastor or whatever it may be. But we stick it out and we, we learn to love each other. We learn to walk through the struggles together. Uh, I'm not saying that you can never leave. You have to come to every single service. But I'm saying when you have a hardship or when you have an issue with somebody, if you just run away from it, you're going to keep running your, the rest of your life. Let's not be the church that, that does that. Let's be the church who welcomes people, who loves people, who finds contentment in God, not, not in uh, 
a fancy building or fancy pastors or fancy anything. Let's find contentment in God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you have called us and that you have sent us out. That maybe you're telling us to stay where we are. That we might be exactly where you intend for us to be. And and God, I know that is scary. Because maybe the situation we're in, we are really frustrated with. Or we don't like it at all. Or or we're scared. Or, Or maybe we've grown lazy in it. Lord, I ask that you would shake us up if that's what we need. I ask that you would, you would give us strength if that's what we need. I pray that each person in here tonight, Lord, would, would have that personal connection with you. That this experience with you would be more than a Wednesday and more than a Sunday thing. But that we can truly live out the gospel by the words that we speak and by the lives that we lead. We want to be the same inside the church as we are outside and at home We ask that we have the honor of preaching your good news. And we are thankful, God, that you love each of us as if there were only one of us. We thank you, Lord, for you are our Savior, our friend, our help. You're our life, God. You're all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody.